or Genesis rather, chapter 37, <clears throat> and we are looking at these first 11 verses this morning and speaking of an outstanding son. But know the story in the Bible about Joseph and how God used him and his life. A few weeks ago, I talked a little bit about his background. Joseph's family was marked by vice and violence, and yet this godly man grew up in some of what we would consider to be un, very ungodly circumstances and situations. I'm still amazed <clears throat> that God could take a young man like Joseph from such a difficult background that he had and use him like he did. That gives me hope as a parent. It gives me hope as a pastor. It gives me hope as a person today. If God could do that with Joseph, then God could do that with any one of us, couldn't he? He could use us for his glory and for his honor. If he could do that with Joseph, then he could take your children and use them. If he can do that with Joseph, then he can take you and me, and he can use us for his honor and for his glory. As you read the Bible, you'll discover that God seems to specialize in taking what appears to be nothing and making something magnificent out of it. And that's what God did with the life of Joseph. As we begin to consider these verses here, I want us to think about the life of Joseph, and I want us to see how different he was from the rest of his family. It's astonishing that a young man who grew up in the same home, with the same conditions, the same environment as his brothers, could be so different. Of course, if you have more than one child in your family, you understand that no two children are alike. They're all different. And you've seen that with your very, very own eyes in your own home. Joseph is so different that he literally stands out, kind of like a rose among the thorns. You know, sometimes we talk about somebody being a rose between two thorns. That's kind of like what Joseph was. He was that type of a person. And so this morning, I want us to see some ways in which Joseph was different from his brothers, how he was different from the rest of his family. And by the way, being different is not a bad thing. Amen? It's a good thing for us to be different, especially from the world around us and for those who do not know our Lord and who are not living for our Savior. First of all, I want you to notice the purity of Joseph's life. The purity. In verse number 2 of chapter 37, it says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, so he's just a teenager. There's hope for you teenagers this morning, amen? amen? He's 17 years old. He was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, one of the most striking ways in which Joseph was different from his brothers is in the purity of his life. Every time you find Joseph and you read about Joseph in the Bible, you find that he was doing what was right. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He made the right decisions, and that made him very different from the rest of his brothers. Purity, integrity, and a desire to do the right thing at the right time marked the life of Joseph. And verse 2 brings us face to face with, I believe, the holy heart that beat in the chest of Joseph. We're told that he was, he was taking care of his father's sheep, 
with his half-brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. You might remember that Bilhah was Rachel's handmaid and Zilpah was Leah's handmaid. These two women had been given to Jacob by his wives and he fathered two children with each of them. And let me just say this, God's plan for the home has always been one man for one woman for one lifetime. And whenever you have more than one wife, and the Bible speaks of that in the Old Testament a number of times, whenever you have more than one wife, you have one too many, amen? <laughs> I think all of us men would agree that it, we have enough challenge to take care of the one we have, we don't need another one, amen? The sons of Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah were Gad and Asher. And as you read the story, you get the impression that this may have been the first time that Joseph was sent out to work with these brothers or half-brothers. And what he saw them doing when he went out to work with them literally shocked him. The brothers of Joseph were an evil bunch. They were wicked. In fact, among the things that you find in the book of Genesis, they were guilty of murder incest, hatred, envy, enslaving their brother, lying, and immorality. They were a pretty wicked bunch. And Joseph goes out to be among them and to check on them. Whatever it was that these men were doing when Joseph got there, it shocked him so much that he came home and told his father about it. That, I'm sure, caused some problems between Joseph and his brothers. It may have been the seed that brought about the root of bitterness that these brothers began to show and began to grow in their lives. So as we think of it, I want you to look at the accusations against Joseph. The accusations against Joseph. Some authors accuse Joseph of being a talebearer. They believe that Joseph brought about the hatred of his brothers upon himself because he was acting like he was better than they were. He was a goody two-shoes. He was better than everybody else. But in reality, Joseph, when he went back and reported to his father, he was really showing absolute integrity in bringing an evil port, report to his father about his brothers. Joseph had a responsibility to his fathers. Whatever his brothers were doing, it involved the flock, the sheep, the herds of Jacob. And so he was responsible to come back because that involved the good name of his father in that area. And his father needed to know what was going on with his sons. Joseph did the right thing. He went to Jacob. He told him of the evil deeds that his brothers were doing. And consequently, it brought hatred from his brothers for him. Now, there's some lessons that we can learn from Joseph. There's many lessons that we could apply to our lives from him. First of all, Every one of our lives ought to be marked by purity. The God we serve is a holy God, and He expects us to be holy people. In fact, He says in 1 Peter 1.16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God wants you and me to be separate from this world and from the evil ways and the evil doings of this world. He wants us to be different from the world. We should be different in the way we act. We ought to be different in the way we talk. We're different in the way we live. We're even different in the way we think. 
Purity ought to be the hallmark character of our lives as believers. Every one of our lives should be marked by purity. Secondly, it isn't easy, but we should always strive to do the right thing in every situation. We should always strive to do the right thing. Our lives ought to be marked with integrity. There's plenty of people that are willing to do the wrong thing, especially if it makes life easier for them. But we should always do the right thing in spite of the personal cost it may bring to us. It should have been easier for Joseph. It would have been just to simply cover up what his brothers were doing and not say anything about it. It would have been easier even than that had he joined in with them and done whatever it was that they were doing. But Joseph determined to do the right thing even if it cost him everything. You see, it's easy to tell a little white lie to keep the heat off of yourself. Amen? It's easy to cheat a little bit here and there if it makes it easier for ourselves. Don't do that. Tell the truth. It's easier for us to yield to the world around us. It's easy for us young people to cut corners in school, not do as much work. It's easier to cut corners at work so that we fit in with the crowd. Don't do it. Be like Joseph. Do the right thing in every situation. Look with me, if you will, over to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. And I want you to look at verse number 5. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 5, and we'll read several verses there in that, in that uh, passage. Ephesians 6 and verse number 5. And the Bible says this. It says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now, we don't have servants and masters in our society, but we have employers and employees, and we could well say here, Employees, be obedient to them that are your employers according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be received of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. In other words, God's telling us, do the right thing. And do the right thing in every situation. That's what Joseph did in his life. And then one other lesson has to do with the proper use of our tongue. Using our tongue in the right way. We should never be a talebearer. Some people say Joseph was a talebearer. I believe he was integ showed integrity in reporting back to his father. But we should not be guilty of being a talebearer. Leviticus 19.16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among the people. Proverbs 26.20 says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Now, if there is something that you must tell, be sure you tell the right person. Jacob had a right to know what his sons were doing. And Joseph came home, and he didn't tell everybody else what the boys were doing. He came home and told the right person. 
He told Joseph, and he told him alone. You see, a gossip always tells the wrong person. They're not trying to stop evil. They're trying to spread evil. And it must be that we, if we tell something, must tell the truth. That's what Joseph did. He told the right person. He said the right thing. He told the truth. He didn't embellish the facts. He simply told them as they were, told his father what was going on. You see, gossips love to add or subtract from the details to make it fit their agenda. And that's what we have to be very careful about. And so there's a lesson about the proper use of our tongue. Don't be a talebearer. Don't be a gossip. Don't be one who is telling the wrong people. You tell the right person if there's something you must tell. So we see the purity in Joseph's life. Secondly, I want you to see the promotions in Joseph's life. The promotion in verses 3 and 4 of Genesis 37, he says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now I want you to notice the atmosphere again within this home of Joseph. What's going on in this home situation? It's clear that Jacob was guilty of favoritism in relationship to his children. In fact, we're clearly told Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, Jacob should have known better than that, and we should know better than that as well. But Jacob grew up in a home that was filled with favoritism. In his home, his mother Rebekah loved or favored Jacob, while his father Isaac favored Esau. And we know, if you know the story, you know the problems that came as a result of that. Favoritism in that home brought envy, it brought strife, it brought trouble within the home. Parents in any age, any time period, we need to be careful that we do not favor one child over the other. Now, I know sometimes that's hard. And if I were to ask you this morning, well, I'm going to ask you, how many of you in your home, there was a favorite child in your home? All right. How many of you know who that favorite child was? How many of you were the favorite child? <laughs> now, I'll ask the other children. Did it cause any problems in the home? <laughs> that was for the others in the family, John. Children in the home should be treated as equal. And I know that's difficult sometimes, but we have to be careful and guard against it. And Joseph's father did not guard against it. He favored one over the other. The oldest son in the home, Reuben, had disqualified himself because he had committed incest with, with uh, one of Jacob's concubines. And there were some problems that came as a result of that. And the oldest sons of Bilhah and, and Zilpah, the handmaid, they, they would have made a, a good choice, but they also had some fail, failures in their life. And so we find that Jacob's choice was Joseph. He chose Joseph, the favorite son. That was not Joseph's purpose or desire to ele elevate him above his other brothers, but his father did that. And it appears from the text here that Jacob was chosen to be the head of the household even to the deathbed of his father. That's indicated by two statements that are made in this passage. First of all, 
The Bible says that he was the son, in verse number 3, the son of his old age. And then it says he made him a coat of many colors. I want you to think with me a minute about those two phrases. Because he was the son of his old age refers to the fact that Jacob is now 91 years old. How many of you would like to have a son when you're 91 years old? Well, he's 91, whatever age Jacob is at this time. He's 17, we're told. So he was born in the old years. He had waited many years for a child to be born to his beloved wife, Rachel. And even in his wife, he, he showed favoritism as well. And when Joseph was born, his heart's desire was realized that Rachel would have a son. But there's another possibility. Jacob is now... 108 years old when these events are taking place and he doesn't know how much longer he will live so he needs a son who's going to take over when he dies as i said the oldest son reuben had disqualified himself and the oldest sons of bilhah and zilpah they had also not been a good choice and so joseph is left the eldest of his favorite wife and he becomes the one who's going to be carrying on the name, holding the responsibilities within the home. And then we're also told he's given a coat of many colors. Now, we kind of picture that sometimes as a little jacket that he puts on that has these different striped colors on it. And we have that picture in our mind that that coat of many colors is kind of Joseph's way of speaking out, saying, I'm special. Father loves me more than you. And that brought attention to him. But that garment was a little bit more than that. The phrase translated coat of many colors literally means a shirt or a coat with long sleeves. It had the many colors, but it also had long sleeves. It was a special type of garment that was multicolored, heavily ornamented, ornamented, and it would have had sleeves that reached all the way down to the hands and a hem that reached all the way down to the ankles. So it was almost like a robe. It was a long coat, like an overcoat type thing. And it marked the wearer as the chieftain or the captain or the head of the clan. So that type of garment was not worn by the common person or the common worker. It was only worn by overseers or people in royalty, those that were above work. It was worn by the heir to the father. When Jacob gave this coat to Joseph, it identified Joseph as his father's choice to be the leader to be the replacement as the head of the family when Jacob died. That coat told all of his brothers, you don't report to Jacob any longer, you now work for Joseph. And that was a big deal to those families in that day. The head of the household literally held absolute life and death authority over all the other members of the family. When the brothers of Joseph saw him wearing that garment, they knew exactly what it meant, and they knew exactly what it meant for the pecking order of the family and where they stood. So notice then Joseph's position within the family. Joseph carried himself well. He earned the respect of his father. And as time went on, his father gave him more and more responsibility within the family. He carried himself so well. He proved himself to be so trustworthy that his father appointed him to be the heir in his place as the head of the family. By the way, that position would have also entitled Joseph to a double portion of the father's inheritance when he passed away. All of this attention toward Joseph just simply created 
greater jealousy among his older brothers. And in fact, we're told in verse number four, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. The word hated there is a strong word. It literally means persons or things that are detested and despised and with which one wishes to have no contact or relationship. They didn't want to have any contact or relationship with, with Joseph. They literally hated him. They could not even say shalom to him. Shalom is the Hebrew greeting of peace. And the verse tells us they could not speak peaceably to him. They didn't have a kind word for Joseph. In fact, their hatred grew day by day. Verse number 4, it tells us they hated him. Verse number 5, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and they told it to the brethren, and they hated him. Verse number 8, it says, And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. Verse number 11, And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the saying. They didn't want much to do with Joseph. Why? Well, part of it was because of his purity of life and because of his integrity. Also, part of it was the favoritism that his father chose, showed and now the position that he's been given. Now, what does all that have to do to us? What does that have to say to you and me? There's some applications and some points that we'll, we can apply to our life. First of all, when we live a life of integrity and holiness, don't miss this. The father notices. When you and I live a life of purity and holiness, our Heavenly Father notices that. When we're faithful to Him, He will promote us to greater areas of service. In fact, He says in Matthew 25, 21, He says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You see, the true character of our heart is revealed in how faithful we are in our service to the Lord. Now, I want to just stop and insert something here and say this this morning. Last night, we had our Christmas dinner. And when I came in, I was just amazed at how well it was all decorated, how everything was prepared, how all the food was ready, how everything was done so wonderfully, and I couldn't help but think, what a blessing it is to have people who faithfully serve the Lord. And there are many of you that serve in so many different ways. I think of the choirs, they're preparing for the cantata, and the children as they're preparing for the kids' program tonight, and, and our master club program, and, and on and on, our Bibles that we do, and all the different ministries that we have in our church. There are many of you who show your faithfulness to the Lord, and you show your love to the Lord because of your faithfulness and service that you have to Him. And God is pleased with that. Secondly, when we're promoted, we must not boast about our achievement. We must not boast about our achievement. You see, any advancement in the spiritual realm is purely because of the grace of God working in your life and in mine. Amen? It's God. It's not us. And thank God that he uses us and thank God that he works in us to develop us. I like that little song that the kids sing. He's still working on me. And aren't you glad he's still working on you? And aren't you glad he's still working on the person next to you? Amen? I'm glad that he's still working in our lives. In John chapter 1, let me read a couple of verses for you. In verse 26, 
It says, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, among you whom you know not. He it is who cometh after me is preferred, preferred before me, whose you, shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. When you think about the Lord Jesus and all that he did and all that he was, John said, I'm not worthy even to unlatch his shoes, to tie his shoes. And John was a great man. He's the one who prepared the way. He said, said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He went on and said, these things were done in Beth, Beth Arba, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. What was John doing? John was, though he was a great man, and though he was the one that was used to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, John was saying, it's not about me, it's about him. There's somebody coming after me, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And if we keep that spirit and that attitude, not that I am somebody or I am great or I am good and I can do all, we're not worthy, are we? Not even worthy to tie his shoes. And we must always remember that humility that God wants us to have as we serve him. Thirdly, when others prosper and are promoted, we must guard against becoming jealous. We must guard against becoming jealous. Instead of being angry that somebody else is prospering or progressing, we ought to be thankful that God is working in their life and God is using them. I think our prayer as parents ought to be that God uses our children beyond what he's used us. Amen? That he does more in their life than he does in our life. We ought to be thankful for what the Lord is doing. Our true self is revealed in how we respond to promotions and blessings and achievements and advancements of others. How do we respond when others are promoted and advanced and blessed? Joseph's brothers didn't respond very well, did they? They hated him for it. So we see the purity of Joseph's life. And then we also see the promotion of his life. Thirdly, I want you to see the promise of Joseph's life. The promise of his life. As we think about that promise, I want you to notice, for, first of all, that God was working while trouble was brewing. And we must remember that in our lives, amen? God's still working, amen? Even though there's problems, even though there's difficulties, even though there's trouble in your life, God's still at work. And as trouble was brewing in the family, God was working in the life of Joseph. And God spoke to Joseph in two dreams. In these dreams, God revealed some of the future plans for the life of Joseph. I want you to look at these two dreams with us. First of all, the first one is in, in beginning in verse number 5. It says, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. Your sheaves bowed down to mine. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dream and his words. This first dream 
was Joseph's brother gathering grain out in the field. They were cutting the wheat. They were binding it in sheaves. And Joseph's sheaf stood up straight, and the other sheaves bowed down before his. And his brothers immediately interpreted what the dream meant, that Joseph one day would rule over them. And they reacted in anger. They defied the dream. They hated Joseph even more than they had done so before. And then the second dream he's had is given in verses 9 through 11. It says in verse 9, he dreamed yet another dream, told it to his brothers, brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee and the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. The second dream consisted of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, which represented the 11 brothers, all bowing down to Joseph. This time, Joseph not only tells his brothers, but he also tells his father the dream. And Jacob immediately understands the implications of that dream, and yet he issues a mild rebuke to him. He says to him, he says, the Bible says he observed the saying. Now, literally, that phrase, observe the saying, means that it means to take heed to. His brothers envied him, but his father observed. In other words, his father was paying attention to this dream. He's, there's something about this. Jacob is having his choice of Joseph as the heir, as the authority in the home. It's now being confirmed by the Lord himself. Of course, this dream, like the other, caused a greater rift between Joseph and his brothers. And not only has his father obviously chosen Joseph over them, but now it appears that God has chosen Joseph over them as well. And Joseph, their hatred for him and jealousy becomes even greater. Now, I do not see in this passage anywhere that would indicate that Joseph told these dreams to brag or to boast about what he had been chosen for. He tells them because I think they were so strange, he had to tell somebody else about what was going on. I don't detect any, any motive of impurity in his life as he tells these to others. But what it does tell me is God was working as trouble was brewing, but also God had some big plans for Joseph, didn't he? God's going to do some big things in his life. These dreams were the first indication that God had plans for Joseph. Eventually, as we know the story played out, they were completely fulfilled in his life. I would imagine that these dreams were the things that sustained Joseph through his life. They sustained him through the pain when he was thrown into the pit. They sustained him when he was in Potiphar's house and lied about. They sustained him when he was thrown into prison. It was these dreams that reassured him that God had a plan for his life and that eventually everything would turn out right. Now there's some points of application from that to us, from those dreams. First of all, let me say there's a word about dreams. God does not speak to us through dreams in our day-to-day. People sometimes say, well, I had this dream. Well, you better check it with the Word of God. Amen? God could speak to, dream, to us in dreams if He wanted to, and I have heard sometimes when He used some special occasions to speak through dreams. But in Joseph's day, they did not have the Bible like you and I have. 
God speaks to us today through the completed revelation of the Word of God. Hebrews says in times past God spoke through the prophets and so forth, but now he's spoken to us through his Son. And God speaks to us through his Son. Jesus is the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. He speaks to us through his Word. And in our day, we have the completed revelation of God. And the Bible is superior to dreams and visions in a number of ways. First of all, the Bible speaks to many subjects. Dreams are limited in their focus. Secondly, the Bible is far more trustworthy. Amen? We can trust the Word of God. Anybody can read God's Word. A dream is only revealed to the dreamer. God's Word is available to all of us. Thirdly, the Bible has absolute authority. Dreams mean nothing. And then fourthly, the Bible is certain, absolute, and fixed. Dreams will fade away with time. Don't put your faith in dreams and visions that you have some night. Instead, study and build your life on the Word of God and the principles that He gives to us in it. So there's a word about dreams. Secondly, there's a word here about hope. In his dreams, Joseph receives the shadow of a promise from the Lord. And he holds on to those dreams and they sustain him through his life and through the difficult times. Now, sometimes God gives us dreams in the sense that we talk about a dream not of a vision that we had, but of a goal or a calling or a desire that God puts in our life to do something for him. When God calls you and puts that in your heart to do something for him, don't let anything take that away from you. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Rest assured that God will accomplish in your life those things that he has shown you that he wants you to do, but he'll do it in his time. And then there's also a word here about hatred. When you serve the Lord and you live a clean life and a pure life and follow the will of God that he has for you, could I tell you there may be times when some people will rise up against you and hate you just like they did Joseph. Don't be surprised when you're hated for following the Lord. Don't be surprised when you're hated for doing what is right. They hated Joseph. They hated Jesus, didn't they? And they put him to death. Don't let the haters stop you from doing what God wants you to do. In this bouquet, you might say, that formed Joseph's family, there was one that rose up among them all. And that was Joseph. He was that thorn among the, or that rose among the thorns that I talked about. Like the cream of the crop, he rose to the top. And in spite of the difficulties that he saw along the way that seemed to hinder him in the work that God had given him to do, he still fulfilled and did what God had for him. His life stands as a testimony of what God can do with anybody's life, regardless of our background, regardless of our family situation. God can put his finger on us and use us for his honor and his glory. Any of us and all of us. Maybe God's placed his finger on some area of your life today. Maybe there's a problem in the area of purity. You need to get that right with the Lord and get it straightened out. Maybe there's jealousy in your heart over the promotions of somebody else or the blessings on somebody else. You need to get that straightened out in your life. 
Maybe you like Joseph's, you're like Joseph's brothers in other ways. Perhaps you need to be saved and need to trust the Lord and give your life to him. Do that today. Maybe life has interfered with the, with the visions and dreams and goals that God has given and called you to do. And you've not fulfilled them. You wonder why they haven't come to pass in your life. Perhaps you need to talk to God about that today and get back on track or, or be patient and wait on the Lord. Maybe it's just getting in the place of submission of our life to say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, whatever your plan is for me, I'll do it. I can imagine there were times through the years when Joseph wondered, is God going to do what he showed me in those dreams? But he kept on faithful. You be faithful. You surrender to the Lord's plan and to his will for his life so that he can take you and bless your life and use you for his honor and for his glory. If he's spoken to you, obey him. Do what it is that he wants you to do. If there's some things in your life you need to deal with, obey him. Do what he wants, as Joseph did. Always do the right thing all the time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the example of the life of Joseph. We thank you how he stayed faithful to you in spite of a difficult circumstances, in spite of a difficult family environment, in spite of people that even hated him and even threatened to kill him and sold him off into slavery. And through those difficult years, you remained pure and faithful. And you, at the end, raised him up to be second to Pharaoh and used him to provide food for all of his family and for his people. And fulfilled the dream that you had given to him in his life. Lord, there's some people here today that you have some plans for their life. You want to use them in a mighty way if they'll yield to you. And if we'll stay faithful in our service to you and consistent in our walk with you, you'll use us for your honor and your glory. I thank you that when there are times in our life when we fail and we get off track, I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And when we come to you in repentance, just as David did, we talked about in our Sunday school lesson this morning, David cried out and you forgave and restored him and used him again. And There may be there those here today that have gotten off track and need to get back in fellowship with you. Would you help them to do it today? Would you help us to be careful about jealousy, about gossip, about hatred? And help us to keep our eyes focused on you, faithful to you. Help us to always do the right thing. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.